for 40 For 40 years, I've walked the line between worlds and am well-versed in death. But I want to have faith in humans. Give me something to believe in. Earth below me, sky above me, fire within me. Brought to you by UPRN Network. I'm Trish Moe, and this is The Missing Piece. Good evening, New Orleans, as well as the rest of the world. Um, today is November, gosh, 7th, um, and it, we are in the full beaver moon energy. Uh, my name is Trish. I'm the host. This is The Missing Piece, 105.3 FM, New Orleans, and the United Public Radio Network, as we are also broadcasting live on Pair of Hosts Network. And I completely butchered that entire intro, but y'all are used to that. So, um, my we we've been having um, such glitches already, and it's just starting. But so, first of all, um, I do want to thank Carnation for sponsoring my hour. Um, I'm so grateful for for them, um, as well as the rest of the network. Um, this is the time of year that that I start using Carnation a lot, obviously, in baking and hot chocolate and such. So thank you, Carnation. And tonight, I, I wanted to do something different because um, it's the time of year that people really kind of start. Well, for me, it's both. This is since my birthday's in June, and I'm a Gemini. This is this is like my dark half of the year. And all of my struggles and all of my everything comes up at this time of year. Well, not to mention it's winter time. So especially for witches, of course, we just passed. It's it's basically our New Year's, and this is the dark half of the year. And the weather, you know, we here in Kansas, it rained for like three days straight last over the weekend. And um, it's just it kind of um, you know everybody kind of gets down. Everybody. Um, starts kind of facing their shadow sides and stuff. So I wanted to step away from, um, I try to balance my involvement with the world of the paranormal and, um, you know, real life, well, paranormal is real life, but um, my realities, um, issues and obstacles. So in honor of that, I, found this creator. I don't know how I found you, actually. I think it was just a random... I'm, I'm always led to people in such, such odd ways. But my guest tonight is an addiction recovery and mental health content creator, Quinn Stone. And so welcome, Quinn. I'm so happy that you, you agreed to be on my show. Thank you so much, Trisha. Appreciate it. Appreciate you having me here, and thanks for all everybody listening. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like I said, I you know people, um, and as far when when people think of, I just encountered this today. When people think of addictions or or mental health, there's such a stigma with it. Actually, e even to this day, I mean it. 
Um, and I was talking to somebody and, and they said, well, you know, I've never, I've never done drugs and I've never been an alcoholic. And I'm like, but you just told me how you can't get anything done because you watched the last 15 episodes of, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so there's tons of, you know, I, I like people to remember that there are so many, don't judge people, y'all. Like there's so many different things. It can be an addiction. You can be addicted to, to Starbucks. You could be addicted to, um, I don't know, anything like, um, chocolate. Too, yeah, yeah. Chocolate. Yeah. Too much TV, absolutely. Too much I mean, addiction shopping. is simply, yeah. Addiction simply relates to like how much dopamine your body is receiving. Um, I like to think that like the addiction isn't really about the substance. It's about right. the dopamine, uh, because our brain starts to get used to this constant flow of dopamine. And that's what we're chasing is this feel good feeling right the the dopamine that's being released is what we're chasing we want to feel that that warmth as they say that comfort mm-hmm. and that's why a lot of uh addicts are chasing are often people who experience some, some traumatic events child abuse domestic violence things like that because they you know that that's why they turn to substance abuse is because substance abuse gives you that dopamine flood that we didn't have as a child by, you know, having a relationship with our parents or, you know, not experiencing sexual abuse or, you know, things like that. So um, I often say that addiction, I, in my opinion, for me at least, was more so about the, I, I was addicted more so to the obsession that the substance, uh, the obsession of escape that that substance granted me. So because I because I experienced those things at a young age, I felt very unworthy. I hated myself. I had off, you know, I had severe depression, anxiety, everything else. And when I discovered using a substance to escape who I was and mask who I was, you know, using using some substances i could be funnier or i i I, to me i thought i was funnier if i drank and got belligerently drunk i I would be funnier if i you know did coke then i would talk a whole lot and so that would you know i'd be more interesting or you know i was i was selling drugs to people and so you know that would bring that camaraderie that i was that i was searching for that you know that home and really, all that is is dopamine. Um, it's like an escapism. So, exactly. Uh, but it's uh, I can actually really relate uh, the spirituality to addiction as well, in the sense that the law of attraction, for me, when I discovered that escape, I was often depressed and and you know very angry uh very felt very guilty about what had happened to me felt unworthy and so i was living on this low vibrational frequency emotion and by the law of attraction the more i lived on that habitual frequency the more the the more the universe is like oh you're you're thriving 
in this environment. So let me, you know, you're, 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 the neuroplasticity in our brains is adapting to living in this negative vibrational frequency environment. And so the universe continued to give me that. And once I started to raise my temporary vibrational frequency as often as I possibly could by going out into nature, uh, learning something new, reading a book about something that interested me, working out, things that released dopamine on these temporary spikes of frequency, when I would come back down to my habitual, it would still be higher than it was before because now I'm doing things to raise my frequency. And the more that I do things to be in that high frequency, the more I will attract high frequency things. And so now I just started to, the more that I stay positive, the more that I make the right choice of staying sober and following my highest life path, opportunities are just presenting themselves left and right. You know, it's, it's really interesting. Perspective and frequency have been really, really important in my sobriety. Now, did you find it hard? Um, I know when, when I stopped doing like really what I, they're all bad if, if done in excess, but, but I'm saying when I stopped like drinking and stuff, and I started exercising more. Well, that was great. But then I became addicted to like exercising or I became, you know, so it was something that was less, that was actually to an extent good for my body, <laughs> but not, you know, in excess. And the same with like working, you know, since I wasn't partying and doing these other things, I became a workaholic. Did you find yourself like gradually, did you find it hard to balance things like that initially? Definitely. It's probably been six months or so since I sort of changed my perspective on how my addiction worked for me. Mm-hmm. I noticed that the reason I could I would continue to relapse is because my brain was searching for this constant flow of dopamine of serotonin, of oxytocin, you know, of all these chemicals that tells our body and our brains, hey, we're doing something right. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that the reason why it was hard for me to stay sober was because, sure, I would would remove the substance from my life, but then I wasn't doing anything to add joy or happiness in sobriety. So to my brain, my brain is telling me, why are we even sober? This isn't fun. We're getting, we're getting none of the chemicals that make us feel good. We're constantly depressed. We're, we're constantly angry or upset with ourselves or feeling unworthy or whatever it is. We're in this low vibration. Why, why are we sober? This makes no sense. We're getting all, we're getting all these feel good feelings. If you would just go and get that substance go get that substance and we could feel amazing right now. And so my brain kept trying to tell me, you know, kept trying to trick me. This is what we need. This is what we need to be happy. And so having that perspective for me really changed a lot because I don't, I don't look at those, 
triggers as triggers. I look them at more as my brain is just has these ne residual neurological passages that are hanging on to whatever survival instinct that I had throughout my addiction. And so I've really changed my whole perspective on how addiction works in my brain. I think, and, and I think that's important because especially, um, you know, as children, when, when we have childhood trauma on top of that, the the cycle with kids is even negative um, attention and and distractions and things like that become um, you know something their brain is I, I know mine did you know and that and like when kids act up and things like that even from a very young age um, it's like even though they're doing things harmful. Um, that's and obviously what they're continuing to attract yes it's better than going you know their bodies it's not better but their brains telling them it's better their bodies telling them it's better than going through sobriety and things like that so right um so let's go back to the beginning the early days of of quinn the the younger years as far as what you're what you're comfortable with you know where did you grow up where did you um, I, I, I read a lot about, um, you know, some parts of your childhood that you shared with me and, and whatever you'd like to share with the audience would be great. Uh, how, how censored do I need to be? <laughs> um, I, I mean, we don't, we, uh, the only censoring as far as like YouTube and, and Facebook, you know, they, they don't care too much about like. We have some cursing and such, but but as far as um, most of our shows aren't for children, so I guess that's <laughs> if that answers your question. <laughs> we do cuss occasionally and stuff. We just can't go crazy with it. <laughs> uh -oh. Childhood had a lot to do with uh, sexual abuse. That's where my feeling of unworthiness really started. It uh, so I uh, well, I I moved here to the states with my mom and my brother when I was four years old. So my my parents were divorced. My parents got divorced. We moved to the United States. We moved to a place in Utah. I think it was Orem or something. And we That's didn't speak a, a word of English. First start in the United <laughs> States is Utah. I just want <laughs> just want to add. Well, my mom had my mom had met some missionary when she was living in France. Apparently, they became close friends, and he was a great guy. They got married eventually, and uh, but he wasn't able to have children, and so they weren't they didn't stay together. And she, my mom ended up meeting this uh, uh, a manager of a hard rock cafe in Salt Lake oh, City, wow. Utah. And so she didn't know that he was an alcoholic and a cokehead, or maybe she did, I don't know, but he became very abusive after my sister was born. And, uh, but before that, uh, at that time I was between the ages of eight and 15. Uh, wow. But before that, I, when we moved to the States, 
and my mom was with this missionary. We had lived in this place called Pleasant Grove after after moving from Orem. Didn't didn't know much English, and my all the neighborhood kids would play and hang out at uh, after school, and some of the older kids, two of the older kids, uh, a, a a boy and a girl, they had to be maybe four or five years older than us. We price uh, five to seven, and it just started being that that game, you know, show me yours, I'll show you mine type of thing. And it was, it, I mean, for for two years, it was just constant, like, touching, you know, I mean, everything from, you know, like, blowjobs and, and penetration and everything. Um, and basically, all the neighborhood kids were, like, molesting each other. Uh, and, wow. Yeah. And... At the age of five to between the ages of five and seven, when it was happening to me, not having a father figure and then having a barrier, a language barrier with my mom, with the kids, with, you know, being five to seven, not understanding how to express myself. Right. I, I, I specifically remember trying to say something about it but my family after talking about it with them i mean i held it in for 30 years i finally talked to them about it. but anyway uh they say so that was they don't this, what your era was this in uh this was we 1990 years, so. yes <laughs> okay so the early early 90s just to put yeah. some perspective and yeah right uh but um so we we were touching each other and stuff. I didn't really know what was going on. I was a young kid, didn't know how to properly express myself. I thought that I did tell some adults about it and it got overlooked and it just it just became something that I I held within me. And I was just like, you know what? I'm just nobody cares. And when I moved we moved a lot. So every time that I moved, I had this opportunity to recreate myself in some way and so i just kind of let that part of me go i was like you know what? i'm not even going to talk about it nobody cared anyway so i'm not even gonna but what i realized was that it wasn't even so much you know after 30 years of holding all that in and then having the pain and resorting to substance abuse the self the 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 unworthiness that I felt wasn't even from what happened to me. It was, it was for me, the idea that we were doing that to each other. And there was, there was probably five or six of us there. And so I was doing it back, you know, and I was a part of causing this, this kind of psychological trauma on other people. And that is what hurt me. That that is what really, uh, when I was a teenager, I just had this guilt that I had hurt these kids and that I, you know, would be unforgiven. And then when I was sixteen or seventeen, I had this uh, this relationship with a girl that she ended up saying that I took advantage of her, and to me was like heartbreaking because I would. I would never want to do that or make somebody feel that way. So after holding that in, 
and then in my teens for that for somebody to be like hey you also caused me this pain now it was like it was like everything stirred back up and then the trauma just came in and just slammed me i was like man you're just worthless and this is who you are and you're going to be some kind of like rapist serial killer that's you know like some crazy I don't know, just my imagination started going wild, you know, that I was going to be this terrible, terrible person. And so I just started to self-medicate heavily and just. Do you think, were you more angry or were like depressed or both? Uh, I'd say I was more depressed because something in my mind hadn't clicked at that point that that there's nothing that I could do to change what had happened. And because I'm not able to make amends with them, that I can just continue to make that, correct that situation by making a living amend to be better, to dedicate myself to helping people, to, to make a deliberate, an, a, a deliberate action saying this is how I'm going to make up for XYZ, you know, um, I hadn't figured that part out yet. And so I was very depressed and very, yeah, definitely very angry. I don't know if there's more one than the other, uh, but unworthy, like worthless is how I felt that I didn't deserve, that I didn't deserve to to walk this planet because of what I was you should be dead, you know? And so that's how I felt about myself. Like you, you touched other kids, like right. you shouldn't be alive. Like you, you know, that's how I felt about myself. Did you now had you since that those things happened, had you talked to any of the other kids or, well, you said you moved, right? So, so right. you didn't keep touch with, keep in touch with any of them or Correct have you know so so you wouldn't have known if any of them felt the same way or or if you know all of those things would have would have gone through my head like are they suffering like me you know did you think things like that or um i mean some of them it's profound that you saw the entire situation from that perspective first of all that's that's usually something that most people can't do until they're much more mature, you know, not way past teenage years Um, because it's just human nature to initially resort to like a victim mentality, you know, from a young age, as far as in in a scenario like that, Um, as far as, as thinking like, well, we all did it to each other and the parents should have done something or, you know, you know what I mean? Like, right. so it's interesting that, that, that you blamed yourself more so than, than automatically resorting well, to. Well, uh, to be honest, uh, I went as a child, I didn't know, I didn't know what love was exactly. I had this idea, you know, or at least my brain that was getting all this oxytocin from people loving me 
thought it had I think I thought I had an idea of what love was at a very young age because I loved my best friend. I thought that I was gay at a very young age because I loved my best friend. Like I, I wanted to kiss him for some reason because I didn't understand right. what this what this feeling was. Um and I think that that was that that was the way that I was conditioned is that I didn't quite understand what love was. And so as a child, thinking back, like, I don't really even, I, I remember, I remember, you know, the, I, I remember giving each other blowjobs and things. I remember, you know, there was a girl involved and we were doing things with her. Um, but as far as me personally being really hurt about what happened to me, um, I was penetrated and about, you know, about how I felt really didn't, didn't really bother me. It's like, it's like, you know what? I made those decisions. I, I screwed up. Uh, you know, I was young and mistakes happen that I could, for, that I could forgive myself for, you know, right. I, I may have tried something. I didn't like it. You know, I thought I was gay then maybe I'm not, whatever. Uh, but to think that I did that to somebody else that didn't, that may not have had a choice, that that maybe they didn't have the same type of thinking that I did, or maybe right. whatever, maybe their perspective on what was happening was far different. That is what really I couldn't get and I couldn't get past. That's what I was really stuck on is, is, and then I didn't know those, I didn't know how to reach out to those people or how to make amends with those people. Or I didn't even have the courage to even say anything. And I'm like, oh, well, what if they don't even remember? And here I am, I'm going to stir, stir something up, you know? So a, a lot of that was, was fear. Uh, and so it wasn't, it wasn't, I don't know. I don't really look at it as the pain that that I was caused. I just look at it as the decisions that I made. And but I can't speak for those other people. I don't know how they saw right. it. Have you ever considered um, writing? You know, we were talking about journals and such, and and um, you said you never wrote any. I mean, I mean nowadays, so people can use like ghostwriters and stuff of transcripts. But have you ever considered that, like writing to the like a, a memoir, you know, of um, obviously changing names and stuff. But but like to these people, you know how they say psychologically, like that's how you make amends with somebody you can't, who's either no longer um, in this world or not in your life for whatever reason, you know. That would, right. I think yeah. Would be living amends. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have thought about that. I, so I just got sober uh, October 1st of 2020. So I've, I just hit two years. Two years. And Amazing. Yes. congratulations, by the way. That's... Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I just got sober, it feels like for me. It's been two years, but so I started using at age 15. And the entire time, not the entire time, I, I'd ha I had 
a year of sobriety once, I had nine months once, I had a month here and there, two months here and there. But for the most part, for the majority of the past 18 years, I was in active addiction. And I didn't really ever accomplish anything. I dropped out of college. Uh, I mean, I, I, I finished high school. I actually graduated early from high school. But after that, I couldn't hold a job. I was often selling drugs or robbing or doing home invasions, schemes, scams, something. I didn't really have any formal education. And so when I got sober, I decided, you know what, I, I basically am starting over from when I was 15. I mean, right. this, this whole life that I have built around addiction, I get, to, I get to throw that whole life out. I'm changing my location. I'm changing my friends. I'm changing literally everything that I know about this old persona that I've created, this addict Quinn. I'm getting rid of that life. And I, I literally like cried about it and everything, like as if I like watched it die. And I started to paint this new canvas of who I wanted to be. And I started saying, okay, this is, I get to recreate who I am. And so what I'm, what I'm getting at is like, I don't know a whole lot. I'm just starting out with all this social media stuff, with all the uh, the Facebook following and everything. I mean, the Facebook following grew uh, 150,000 in, in three months. I mean, it just came out of nowhere. And, you know, I'm getting all these opportunities, but like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Somebody told me, hey, you know, when I started posting videos, journaling my life, they told me, dude, you should be a motivational speaker. And in my canvas, I was like, boom, I'm a motivational speaker. I don't even know what that means, what it's going <laughs> to take, what that, you know, what that entails, but that is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to just jump right in and I'm going to dedicate myself and I will learn along the way. And as long as I tell people, hey, you know what, I have no idea what I'm doing. This is just what I'm trying to do then maybe there'll be a little compassion and they'll go easy on me. <laughs> so I want to tell you something. See, see, that's your perspective of yourself. Because when I first came across your, um, a lot of your, your videos, um, I'm like, wow, I want to know this guy. This guy really knows what he's talking about. Like he knows exactly what he's doing. He's, oh yeah, I've got a got... PhD in drug and substance abuse. <laughs> no, no, uh, I, mean, I went. It's, it's I went fine. for eighteen years, and <laughs> I can tell you anything you want to know about substance abuse. But I'm saying, or any kind of criminal as, activity, <laughs> as far as your as your speaking ability, your ability to, um, you know, a lot of people can say that they've they've had whatever experience but that doesn't necessarily make them easily easy to relate to you know what i mean if if that makes any sense um and and i think all of all of the videos i've seen of yours and, and the method you use and just just being real you know um is is something that that i could relate to and i'm like wow this is an amazing guy you know this is this is someone that 
Thank you. <laughs> you know, you like I said, you might think that you don't have everything figured figured out, and that's fine, and and know what you're doing on social media or whatever. But that doesn't matter. You took the first step in sharing your story. And that motivates other people. That motivates people like me. That motivates my listeners. You know, that that's something that even kids that that's happening to today. And I can tell you because I have, you know, I have kids myself. I have nieces and nephews. And the stuff that they are doing that I hear about through even through hiring, you know, in different fields, um, high schoolers and things like that. I'm like, you did you you did what? Like you did what at a party? We weren't doing that. Like you know what I mean? Yeah, no, they do some, they're, they're crazy. I mean, it's scary. We, for us, when we were that age, we were doing drugs and stuff and, and we're look. we didn't, we weren't really having sex yet. You know, 16 years old, 15, 16 years old. It was still like, you know, a couple of our friends were doing it, but but not everybody. Now, apparently, all the young kids are, are having sex oh. at like 12, 13 years yeah, old. Yeah, like, I was going to say, there's like, like full orgies in middle school. You, you know what I mean? I'm like, what? what? I, I don't, I can't the even. The internet is so wild. That oh. <laughs> yes. So so that's what I mean by, by you crazy. taking the first step to tell your story. And it gives other people courage to do the same. You know what I mean? Because telling your story is so freeing first of all and then you can worry about anything else as as far as the um logistics of social media and everything else but getting that off your chest especially the first time like where did um you so you started telling your story on your own um just your own platform initially correct i i started on tiktok and on okay. TikTok, I started actually about a year ago. And I started with zero followers and built it to 20,000 in a year. And that took like every single ounce of breaking out of my shell that I could get to. But the, the response on there, I don't know. I'm not sure if it's just not really TikTok's thing, but they don't push recovery content or substance recovery content especially they don't really push that in the algorithm so it's for me I found it difficult uh, because I would spend hours researching trying to do something intelligent with these videos and then uh, I'd get super discouraged because I'd see somebody getting you know 10 million views on some video for 10 seconds and I'm like well dang I spent like four hours in this person literally just like went like this and put a filter or a sound behind it and it's getting millions of views so i got frustrated i started posting to other platforms and facebook just had a really great response and so i kind of ditched tiktok i'm still on there i still post daily i just don't respond on there as much as i do on facebook Uh, it's just also a lot better there, there's just a bigger community that followed me in, in such a, a short amount of time and they seem to be relating to me too and i don't i don't really know how it happened <laughs> i just i just i'm just going with the flow it's just the law of attraction i guess you know just 
being happy, attracting happy people. Um, do you um, do you ever go back and and watch like uh, some of your first videos and I actually grow and learn? My biggest from them? fan. <laughs> yes, yes. I was about to say, you know, people get I, so stuck on like follow, how many followers they have and stuff. And one of the first videos I ever put out that I was so terrified to do, and now I look at it, I'm like, that's amazing because I don't care that nobody ever saw it probably or liked it or anything because it had like a copyright, you know, whatever music yeah. I used or whatever. <laughs> so I don't idea. think you even ever saw it, but I came across it a yeah. year later, you know, from when I started my journey. And I had said, it doesn't matter, even if you only reach one person and that person is you, then, yeah. you know, and the fact that people were making fun of people for following their own, like liking their own stuff and, and following their, okay, you, that's your first problem. If you can't like and follow your own content, yeah, then you can't support yourself. Who's going to support you? Exactly. I'm like, Absolutely. so I had two followers and one was me. And I was like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> like I reached all right. I got, I got two followers. <laughs> I got two in a year. Absolutely. Yeah. Now I was going to say, uh, I, I have, I can't, I can't even remember. It's, it's like 20 million views or something on, on, one video and I'm pretty sure that I am like 19.9 million of those views <laughs> because okay it's just like because I watch my own content person. and I'm like you know what Quinn you're, you're making some good sense today I like this <laughs> I think that's important in your own you know your personal growth as well and yeah. and it, and I tell people all the time I like, started this whole journey for is to journal what I was going through and so I, I love looking back a year ago from today and seeing what I was going through at that time. Uh, a lot of times it's very cringe for me. I'm like, oh man, you're just so, you got a lot of growing to do, you know? And, I'm, and then it gives me that like happiness. It gives me that dopamine rush, you know? Like, hey, you're doing good. You're telling your older yeah. self that you, just wait until, just wait to see what's happening. Just wait to see what's coming, you know? And then I get to be happy about where I'm at now because I see where I was. You see how far you've Oh man, you've got all this yeah. growing. You got all this growing. You got all this great stuff coming for you. You don't even know it. And then, and then it puts me in real time. Like, hey, that time is now. Like, uh, we're, we're doing something. So it's really You know, great. when I first started putting my art, um, out publicly and such um nobody would buy it nobody would was interested in it nobody you know and then it would be like two years later i see all the stuff is popular now that i was doing back then and at first i was like wait a minute like nobody liked my stuff two years ago and now all, all of right. a sudden it's popular and everybody but then I turned my perspective around because it's life's always about perspective and I was like wait a minute this is a good thing I've you're, already you're created all of that stuff. <laughs> yeah. I've already created all of that. So eventually the algorithm in the world, whatever matrix we live in, will catch up. And I think so then then you could think, all right, well, I've already got my content for the last, you know, however long that people are gonna um, repost it. Right. But that's why I'm saying you should do because all of that, the algorithm now they say is based on 
length of time a person has been committed to because a lot of people just start a platform and then they'll start another one because they think it's not doing anything and change the name and they'll go to another one and but but consistency in yourself anyways and in your original goal and everything um i think catches up you know just yeah. have to wait for that yeah Con consistency is definitely the the number one thing that i've noticed with social media they don't like you to take breaks if you right. if you want to take like a three-day break from posting videos or making any kind of comments or anything the next time you come back you'll you'll have way less at least for me what i've noticed if i take a break for more than a couple days i'll come back and post something and notice that the the interaction is 50 percent less hmm. uh, they just don't like that <laughs> So, so it's it's rough. Now, when you say you started with going back to fifteen year old you, and you, that's when you started self medicating and you started with different substances. What when you say substances? Did you start drinking? Did you start taking pills? What what was your I guess first, or was it just a variety of things like? Well. I guess, so I started smoking weed and that to me wasn't, it wasn't, okay, so I started smoking cigarettes. First off, I should, I should note that the only reason why I ever saw a substance as a, as, as an actual option for dealing with real life was because I saw that in my mom my mom saying things like oh i'm so stressed i need a cigarette so mm -hmm. me in my mind as a child i look at that and i say okay so using using nicotines is a way to relieve stress i'm, I'm instilling right. that into a child's mind is what she was doing so i and so as a child i see that as i can find stress relief in a substance and so growing up i when I discovered, when I found weed, when I found cigarettes, it was like my way of dealing with stress. And I didn't really look to doing a whole lot more. And I went through surgery and they prescribed me Oxycontin. And then I got a whole different level of. Oh, I hate that. Escape. I wish they would. Man. I, I discovered that I was like, oh, holy cow, I've got this huge dopamine like release and so this is this is that dopamine release that i've been searching for in a relationship with somebody close to me i'm looking for love i'm looking for dopamine i'm looking for oxytocin and that's what this this substance was giving me so it, it started with weed uh cigarettes i drank but i wasn't a heavy drinker because i'd black out really easily and one one time I was probably 16 or something. I thought that I went home after going to a Mexican restaurant, but apparently I stayed and partied for two more hours and I didn't remember any of it. And that for some reason scared the heck out of me. Wow. I was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not gonna drink a whole lot. But for some reason, uh, heroin was not, <laughs> was not off the table with constantly nodding out and things. I don't know. I don't know how my brain worked that way. I never, really 
used alcohol as a means of escape. I've used it as a coping mechanism for my lack of confidence. Definitely. Absolutely. I'd, I'd get belligerent at parties or something, or I'd drink heavily at parties to try and be more sociable or to make people like me because I didn't like who I was. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, just, just to clarify as well, I am not abstinent. I am not somebody who thinks that abstinence is the only way to recovery. I, I do smoke weed. I microdose uh, psilocybin for my depression, my anxiety, and that works for me. Now, that was a decision that I had to make within myself. Am I using these substances to escape or am I using them because I have a mental health condition? Right. And that, to me, was a life-changing perspective that every single substance has a place in this world we may, we may need to use you know morphine if you get into an accident you break both your arms i'm not going to tell i'm not, not going to tell the doctor oh don't give me morphine i'm a drug addict so i can't right. i can't expect to hold a sobriety in abstinence if i'm holding dear to the idea that i can i, I will lose my sobriety if i'm not abstinent for the rest of my life Right. Especially for somebody with mental health conditions. It's not fair for for me to say, look, I will not be taking my mental health medications because that means I'm not sober. Because now I'm choosing between being mentally healthy and my sobriety. And that's not fair. You should be able to be mentally healthy and sober. It's all about how we use the substance. Substance abuse is exactly that. Substance abuse. When we start to use that substance as a way to cope with life instead of learning how to deal with things properly, that's when it becomes an issue. I wouldn't say that somebody who is taking some kind of mental health medication is an addict of that medication if they need it. You know, if they're abusing it, if they're snorting it, if they're, you know, doing whatever, you know, drinking a whole thing of, you know, drinking a wine or whatever with it. Yeah, that's abuse, substance abuse. They tell you you can't, you're not supposed to drink with, you know, pills and alcohol, whatever. That's not how the doctor's telling you to take it. That you're you're abusing that prescription. And so that is not healthy. But is that person sober? Absolutely. I I agree. And now, now that I'm older, you know, back when I was younger, especially the 90s, in the 90s, too, that we were still in the age I've come across now, you know, my parents are like almost in their 80s. And I've come across um, like magazine ads and such that had baby smoking. They were like, start them young and blah, you know, in advertisements. (laughs) That was normal. That was normal in the 40s and 50s and 60s, you know. I mean, not that long ago. Yeah, exactly. When I was younger, we were still able to buy the candy cigarettes, you know, that like, uh, yeah, I definitely they would puff that. out like whatever powder. <laughs> but, I think it was like, powdered sugar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But still, it was the, we were acting like we were smoking when we were like six years old. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like that, yeah. buying candy cigarettes, it's still the same, same thing. 
And so um, <laughs> I was, and, and like you said, you know, your mom, and, and that's probably how she, she grew up too. When, when she said, oh, I'm stressed, I've got to have a cigarette. Well, in our parents' age, you know, era and stuff, a lot of that was pushed in their, in their face all the time right. on TV, on, on drinking and, and, Absolutely. you know, weight loss via cocaine back in the fifties. They, they had the magazine ads that, that depicted these women cleaning house after snorting coke um, right. <laughs> and being a better housewife because of right. it. Absolutely. That's, that was normal. Or amphetamines. Them. Amphetamines exactly. was a huge thing. Which is crazy. You know, it's crazy to us that, that like that, but that was their normal. Right. So we're Yeah, like my mom only taught of... me, my mom only taught me the coping mechanisms that she was given. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I don't blame my mom one bit. She did absolutely everything she could to, to be the best mom she could. Um, <clears throat> unfortunately, she was also never really taught how to be, you know, how to have right. a healthy parent relationship. So, but. And that's, yeah. that's what I was going to say. I don't think kids in, in any um, era are ever really taught. Uh, you know, we're always telling them what they should or shouldn't do. But we never teach anyone for that matter. Even adults are terrible at it. I'm, I'm terrible at it half the time. Um, we never learn how to, how to deal with things. You know, no, nobody, it's like, it's like the shutdown. Nobody was prepared for that. But you don't see schools teaching kids how to cope with that because they think, right. oh, it happened to everyone. Well, no, these kids, no, it didn't. Like our parents and their parents never had to deal with, well, depending on how old they are, but never had to deal with the entire world shutting down. You know what I mean? Never had to deal with not being able to go out in public and play with other kids and go to a park for that matter, because I witnessed how it affected my daughter, you know, being so young, she was in like second grade, I think, you know, and then being homeschooled and not understanding why they couldn't be around people and why they couldn't. And that, even though it didn't traumatize us in the same way, because we couldn't go to a park or whatever, it, we don't think how it affects them at that. That's a huge part of their social, um, you know, nature. And so regardless of what it is, I don't think that we do a good job I mean, not anybody in particular, just as a society or schools or anything in teaching children how to even confront emotions and stuff like that and, yeah. and that it's okay to, you I mean, know? that's a whole, that's a whole, that's a whole plethora oh my of, goodness. of yes. issues, the, whole, the school system. <laughs> that goes, and it God, goes so God bless and bless all the, all the teachers and everybody out there, but man, that the school system's got need some revamping desperate revamping <laughs> oh man i you know here in where i live it's it's like dangerous minds all over again back in the 90s you know literally like i think of some of these school these schools as like what it, as like michelle pfeiffer literally in the movie going into the and not knowing how to relate to these kids because they were all so traumatized and so from everything from their neighborhoods to drugs and abuse and and domestic violence and everything else you know like where do you start you know um i think uh 
I don't know. I don't know. <clears throat> I'm not sure exactly where where to even where to even begin with that. One day, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that prevention from that trauma is definitely the key. I don't know if we'll ever get to a point where there will be some kind of class in school, but that that should definitely be a subject in school that you go to every single day like for an hour is like mm -hmm. just mental health. Like, what yeah. are you doing today? You know, where is your headspace? Be present in your moment. You know, just, just an hour a day that they teach you in school to like, how are you dealing with what you're going through right now? You know, and, and I get that like kids are able to go through, <clears throat> see a, a counselor or a therapist or something like that. But this should be something that is instilled into their lives you need to be focusing on your mental health mm -hmm. at least one at least once a day Absolutely. you should be evaluating yourself how you're feeling how you, and i think if we instilled that as like as like a habitual thing where people were actually able to communicate i think that we would have a lot less problems hey this is I how i'm feeling i'm feeling frustrated because of this this and this and being able to voice that, you know, I, yeah. I think that I don't think it should stop at a school level. Yeah, you know, I, I think there's certain, uh, you know, there's a lot of businesses and corporations and stuff even adopting a lot of, of that now. And I think that's great because it, it happens to adults, too, you know, and right. um, definitely. I, I remember when it was a few years ago, I, I don't remember where they were, maybe somewhere in California, some schools started instead of punishing kids that got into fights or for bullying or whatever um by detention by traditional detention you know not accomplishing anything um they started teaching them how to meditate and that's a great um, idea and not just the kids that were in fights. yeah it was it was any of them that had had issues they they started teaching them how to meditate the rate of fighting and bullying and and just general anything racism sexism things like that just the the acceptance and um, the inclusion that the students at that school it, i think it was a few of them actually um or maybe like an entire school system um dramatically declined as far as interesting i, I mean that's I think it's not great. surprising it's not surprising at all you know if, if you just teach people to just take five seconds to reevaluate how you feel i think we we wouldn't make a lot of the decisions we make i know that myself uh, a lot of times i would act on an impulse decision and i would relapse because i was angry or i was frustrated or depressed in that moment that I didn't take the the time to ask myself, why am I feeling like this? Why why am I depressed? Is this valid? Am I, you know, is it possible that I need to find an outlet mm -hmm. instead of using a substance to escape? I also think it's interesting, you know, we were talking about the full moon and uh, I was telling you how I, I have a lot of empathic people and that's a new a relatively new concept and um which i i also think should be taught you know if 
since science has studied human energy um, in such in so much more depth, um, that we now know that it is 100% possible to pick up on someone else's emotions or what you know mood or whatever that is in your environment well that that would play largely on classrooms and and playgrounds and stuff obviously as with the full moon energy you know we always yeah. talk about that because it affects animals it affects the tides it, we're made up of almost all water you know right. so i mean it's um, clear just by just uh, just if you ask any person who works in the first responders field they'll tell you the full moon is the craziest night. Yeah. I mean, and that's just, that's just proof right there that it's not, I mean, there is a difference. There's a difference. It's not and just, so. Not just uh, crime and stuff like that. I, I noticed when I, I was a, a table games dealer at a, at a casino um, for a while. And I would notice uh, during the full moon, like certain people, the level, the rate of like heart attacks, um, even people passing out from um, like low blood sugar, things like that. It was always during the full moon. There's so right. many health incidents. Yeah. Um, so I assume, you know, that that would affect people's mental stability as well during those times on top of everything else, on top of adding any type of, I know working as a bartender forever, that that was also the nights that there were the most fights, you know? yeah yeah exactly it's it's not it's not a coincidence i mean our bodies are mostly water so it's, you know the tides are are formed by the moon and that's what makes the the tides so the mat the the gravitational pull that the moon is causing on the oceans is pull is causing some kind of effect on us and i don't know exactly how that works but definitely can attest to feeling different on a full moon for sure so when you were you said you've been sober now for two years but um i call it canna sober is what i call it and that's that's so this is my company the sober s-o-b-r it's like the first four letters of sobriety um so that's where it started. That's where it started. But like I said, I'm not abstinent. Uh, but you know, Demi Lovato coined this phrase "Cali sober," and I don't really see how that makes sense. Besides, like you know, it being one of the first states to legalize or whatever. But I think "Canna sober" just made more sense to me, and so that's kind of my brand is "Canna sober." I mean, it's sober, but like there's "Canna sober" in the kind of like umbrella of that but so i'm not abstinent but i'm canna sober so yeah and how long i guess how long ago did you or you just started kind of in this last year as far as that company the, concept, the, i guess the the concept the clothing company you know this is like i said i don't know what I have no idea what I'm doing. People are just like, hey, you should do this. I'm like, that's a yeah. great idea. <laughs> and so people, <clears throat> I started, people were like, do you have merchandise? I was like, no, but that's a great idea. <laughs> so I just started making clothes. <laughs> and this is the concept that I came up with. 
uh, I spent, you know, I spent a long time on it, just like thinking about what it is that I wanted to convey. And I think that being sober, whether it's medical assisted treatment, whether you're can of sober, whether you're abstinent, to me, as long as you're doing something that's working for you to live the best life you possibly can, then that deserves a title. Because we have all this stigma yeah. out there that's like, you're not sober if you're, you know, if you're on medical assisted treatment, or you're not sober if you smoke weed, or you're not sober. It's like, well, who gets to draw the line? Because technically, if you're not abstinent, then you're not sober. Because And abstinence includes nicotine, caffeine, any minor mood-altering substance. Right. It could be Tylenol. So, you know, who gets to draw the line? I think if you're out there busting, you know, if you're, if you're doing everything that you can to, to not be on the streets, you know, homeless and, and pulling robberies and doing all these things, you're not in active substance abuse where, you, you know, this is like something that you're chasing. If you're actively working towards recovery, I mean, who isn't? Who isn't actively working towards recovery? So you get you you in my book, you deserve a title. You deserve sobriety. You're not clean because being clean in my book is complete abstinence. But if you're busting your ass, you deserve to be sober. You're sober in my book. That's an interesting. I like that. Um, that's you know, I because I... because you got people in the rooms who are like you're not sober because you're on medical assisted treatment, but you know, the big book says that you're not sober if you're on any mind mood or mood altering substance, including caffeine or nicotine. But these people are out here in the beginning of the meetings, smoking a pack of cigarettes and having three coffees. It's like, right. well, so what makes you sober? Because by definition, you're not sober. So that person is really just saying, Hey, this is where I draw the line. My line is that caffeine and nicotine is sober, but marijuana and, you know, Wellbutrin is not. Well, that's where that person draws the line. Now, here's where I draw the line. I say that you're not, you know, this if you're not that. And, and the next person is going to say, well, this is where I draw the line because I'm on yeah. mental health medications and I need mental health medications. So it's really, sobriety is really different to every single person. I don't so it's know not fair why. for anybody to say this is what it is. You know, I, I get in the same I get in the same argument. And well, I wouldn't say argument because I don't I don't I worry about myself now. You know, I, I I don't what somebody else does um or or how they perceive anything in their life or their belief system or whatever, if it is not harming me or affecting me. You know what I mean? I'm 100% okay with people on my friends list on Facebook or wherever having different views as me all of that because to me and I, and I get this 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 discussion with people all the time about even about like religion and everything especially as a witch like everything else because I'm like well technically the way I perceive you and the way you perceive me are completely different also the way we perceive everything is different so technically, as far as beliefs, as far as religions, there's literally billions. There's the amount of people, there's the number of people in this world. That's how many religions there are. That's how many belief systems there are. That's how many, yeah. because everyone's is different, you know. 
And so I think it's silly. Yeah, I agree. I actually didn't know this until I started doing a little bit of research. When I started getting into spirituality and I discovered that in Hinduism, there's all these different gods. I was like, oh, I thought that Hinduism is a is polytheistic religion. It's not. Yeah. It's a monotheistic religion. They believe in one god. But all of these other gods, Shiva and, and Hisnu and all these other gods, they they're they're just an interpretation yeah. of that god. And so I'm like, well, I like I was mind blown. I was like, well, isn't that really what anything is like isn't isn't like isn't christianity or catholicism or or you know hinduism whatever it is aren't they all really just a depiction of somebody's perspective of what god is it's all the same thing we all come from a creator you know we all come from somewhere and people have different names for it because they came from different parts of the country or different parts of the world or different part, you know? And so it's like, we're all describing the same exact thing. It's just got a different name for us because of where we grew up. And that's but kind of, it's all, it's all, it's all God. It's all the creator yeah. or the universe or source, whatever you want to call it. That's kind of the, in New Mexico where, where I grew up, um, and uh you know my i have a navajo background the the four corners prophecy is about different tribes basically coming from all four corners north south east and west um and to become one you know all um all the differences all the the um just all the parts of the different um basically on a larger scale like the different parts of the world coming together and Mm -hmm. for the same for the same cause and um i think that's something that is amazing and profound about being able to reach people halfway across the world with your story because um it, it shows that okay even though you came from france to the u.s but people in other countries, you know, we might be different as far as our our immediate surroundings, our cities and everything, but we still all have the same problems. We Absolutely. still all have the influences of drugs. We still have, you know, all have these things going on, whether you're in Utah or in, you know, Europe or Africa or, or India or wherever. So. Right. Yeah, it's. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, we're all we're all surrounded by people who have also been abused. You know, I think that's, we need... that was a big thing for me was when I found when I when I decided to stop running from why I obsessed over escaping. I said, okay, I'm going. The only way that I discovered relieved me of the resentment that I held against the person that molested me was by forgiving that person. And because I don't know, I don't remember that person. Like I remember their name, but I don't remember their face. I don't remember, you know, I'm never going to see that person again. So what worked for me was saying, you know what, I am no longer going to hold this resentment. I 
forgive you for the pain that you caused me. And it's not like I, I'm not letting him off the hook. Like what he did that doesn't make what he did okay. Right. But the more that I continue to let that experience hold me back from life, the more he is winning, the more that I am losing. You know, maybe he's not even winning, but I am definitely losing because I am being, you know, stinted from being my full potential because of how I feel about my past. And I did that for 30 years. I wasn't who I wanted to be because I didn't feel worthy of that for 30 years. And be, and the person who held that power for me was him. And so by forgiving him and saying, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to be held back by this anymore. That, that I took that power back so that I could, I could be what I want to be without holding that resentment. And now when I think about it, like if I think of, you know, if I have a trigger, I want to relapse because I, you know, you know, I feel unworthy. I can't hold it against him because I don't feel unworthy right. anymore because I forgave him for that. And now I'm working on myself. So to me, that was a big thing was finding forgiveness and understanding and compassion. And in my mind, I was like, you know what, this person, you know, I was, I was, six seven years old this person was probably like 10 11 12 or something and i'm thinking you know and in my mind i'm like you know where does a where does a kid that age pick up that kind of behavior yeah was was he being molested at home was he you know was his father or uncle or you know like what where did that kid pick that up and so that kind of helped me too, thinking, you know what, that kid didn't pick that up nowhere. He, you know, so maybe he was experiencing something as well and that I just didn't know. And, you know, he didn't, uh, he didn't quite have a healthy understanding of what love is or what proper boundaries or, you know, what, what, what proper touch is and, and things like that. So that helped me you know i would not have believed it if someone told me even as recently as like four or five years ago um especially for myself anyways but i've also found that if um i've learned a lot of i through my near-death experiences a lot of my past lives started coming back to me and a lot of my trauma wasn't from this life, which is crazy and profound to think of. But a lot of my trauma, it wasn't even, not all of it even was necessarily from, from myself. There's certain trauma that follows your DNA. And this I've has been proven. That. Yeah, this has been proven in things. So for instance, in my, in my own life, you know, I fell when I was two years old on my grandma's fireplace and put my my top teeth through my bottom lip, like completely through it. Kind of minor thing. I mean, sure, it hurt and everything. Right. My daughter mm -hmm. did the same thing on the exact same day at the exact same age, although it was worse. And she did the same. She fell and she put her teeth. She she actually put her top teeth. What the heck? She only had two teeth on the bottom. Put her top teeth through her bottom two teeth and like severed her entire gum, like jawline, 
so with each generation, it got it gets worse. Boy, <laughs> I and, wouldn't want to be in that chain. Well, Holy so cow, I started that researching <laughs> and these things that happen, like in in my other family member, like cousins and stuff, you know, and their mm -hmm. parents had a certain accident or something when they were younger, and then they did, and then their kids did, and it was the same thing, but usually escalated one way or another in the same and i'm like we're repeating cycles not just from past lives and things like that but literally from our dna and um, then i saw this thing this guy cut his finger off as an adult you know doing whatever um halfway like to his first knuckle and he had a son and his son's finger never grew past the first knuckle so he didn't even have an accident. It just transferred that energy of losing an appendage to his offspring, which is interesting. Which is interesting. Very interesting. And, and I mean, that's, that, that relates to, I mean, to me, that relates to how powerful the mind is. Cause like, was it really, was it, was it the father getting his knuckle like the tip of his finger cut off was it that or was it the child growing up to thinking that he doesn't have one of those right you know right like because our brain will trick us too into mm -hmm. thinking hey like that's my dad i'm you know i'm just like him i don't have like this tip of my finger it just doesn't right. grow in my mind you know and it kind of like our brain is powerful enough to to alter our own dna and that's how evolution is even a thing uh, well and even with haunted you know especially on this network a lot of people can relate to locations that are haunted that's another thing people are like well these ghosts aren't actually intelligent spirits they're just residual energy and blah 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 and the place is haunted because there's been so much um you know depending on what's happened there or or if there's been wars or which i think is true to an extent <laughs> Yes, the energetic, all of those things create an energetic signature because energy can never dissipate. It, it is, it's always there once created, right. whether it be a thought or, or an act or a war or whatever, mm -hmm. that will never go away. You just have to transmute it. But then I was thinking, you know, it's the same with people like, like you were saying, are those places still haunted because everybody goes there with that perception? You right. know what I mean? So it's like Absolutely. continually um, bringing up that same negative pattern. I agree. And the same with neighborhoods and projects and everything else. You know, they've proven that it's that cycle because that's all they believe they'll they'll ever be. Absolutely, self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Definitely self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, I find that super interesting. And when when we moved into this house here in boston the the house was owned or, or the realtors uh somebody somebody who owned the house previously was thought to be in in the mafia or like the the mob oh and when we first started moving all of our stuff in we i had to gut out like one of the walls down in the basement because it was all rotted out and I oh am a, gosh. I'm, I'm a very, I'm a very 
calm individual. But being in that basement just brought me such anger. And I got hurt down there. And granted, I got hurt pretty well. Like a piece of glass fell off and like cut my ankle so bad that I had to have stitches. But I didn't get stitches because it's just not a thing that I did for, you know, throughout my addiction. Because you grew up in the the 90s. (laughs) Um, Yeah, exactly. Uh, but so the next day I go down there to, to continue working and something falls right on the same exact spot. And I got so mad that I punched the wall and I ended up getting a boxer's fracture on my knuckle. And I just the energy down there, I was just so angry and I never get like that. And I'm like, what the heck? Not too long after that, uh, I had a friend come visit me and she refused to come in my room. She she's a she was very she she claimed to be very powerful intuitively, and she was like, you know, there's you've got a bad energy in your house. She's like, it's the worst in your room and downstairs in the basement. And I was like, that's weird because when I was doing work down there, I got like so angry for you know, which I would never. I would even you know, I just wouldn't get angry like that. I don't know what came over me. She's like, yeah, there's a bad, there's a bad entity in your house, like a bad spirit or some some sort of bad energy in here. She's like, I just don't like it. And there's something, there's something going on. And I thought that was super interesting because I even at the moment I couldn't explain why I got so mad that I punched something like that. It's like uh, that's just not me. There's there's a lot of outside influence in the in the spiritual realm that people that don't know about it or understand it or believe in it. Um, That's another thing I've always talked about that should be taught to kids, you know, because regardless of religion, it's energy and it exists and it is powerful and it can affect people in, in numerous different ways. You know, that's, that's another thing about, there's been so many people that have had physical illnesses even diseases, things like that, mental health problems, and then they're removed from a specific location or like a haunted place or whatever, and they're completely fine. Mm-hmm. And that just goes to show like how powerful that can be. Yeah, I've I've heard of instances like that too. Like, um, I was just watching a show actually just the other night that that had something very similar to that. They were investigating. Oh, dang it. What's it called? The something walkers, the skin walkers thing that's going on. The yeah. skin walkers. <laughs> yeah, they were talking about that same thing. And, and like the guy actually showed, it, it actually showed the x-ray. Like the, this guy had this condition on the back of his head where it like grew when he was at this location, when he took them, when they took him away from it, like he was, he had to go to the hospital and stuff. And when they took him away from that location, doctors like, we don't have any idea what that is, but it was grown. Like there's definitely something here that wasn't there. So it was very, very interesting. There's been times even when um, a few times, you know, you know, I'm a medium, but I didn't actually embrace that ability. I was terrified of everything spiritual and, and in the ether, I mean, whether it be ghosts or demons or, or, or extraterrestrials or anything up until a few years ago. And I was like, 
I can't live this way. So I, I confronted it, you know, and, and, but I remembered back, uh, my early twenties, um, uh, I was possessed, um, I mean, quite. I've been possessed a few times in my life, which which is normal because I attract these things. Obviously, obviously, that I can talk to them and see them, so I know how to deal with it now. But back then, I remember at the time, which was completely uncharacteristic in my life at that point in time, because I was happy. You know, I wasn't like I had a good job. Uh, I was married and stuff, and it had nothing to do with any of that. This like it was within about a week or two period of time I stopped eating I stopped like my skin was literally like turning gray my eyes were sunken in and I would be around I would I was hearing these voices not like voices I don't want to say it wasn't like in my head but I would get these thoughts of stuff that's like go poke your eyes out with a with scissors or like off the wall to harm myself or to harm others and I'm like okay I step back, you know, and I went on vacation away from my house. And, and I also met with different, um, like I met with some, some Buddhist monks. I met with all kinds of people that were like doing all these rituals and things that I had no, no understanding of. And they said that I had a very dark entity attached to me. And, and it was after that, that I mean, they would tell me to do anything bad that could possibly, like, go walk out in traffic, go take these pills, go do, you know, and um, I literally thought I was losing my mind, and and that's scary that, that something can affect you, you know, from an outside um, that I didn't even think existed at the time, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's what I was going to ask you about. We, we briefly talked um, a while back. Um, well, first of all, um, before I move past that, the, so one time that you had, a you went into cardiac arrest, right? Yeah. Yeah. The it's actually, uh, <laughs> is profound. Go, go ahead. You can, you can tell that story. <laughs> uh, so I was in, I was in active addiction. I had been using cocaine and heroin heavily. I was selling out of my mom's house and there was, <clears throat> there was no furniture in the house. There was just like the bedroom set and the TV and my girlfriend or my fiance at the time had just gotten out of jail like the night before she, she had been in there for quite a, quite a long time. I, I can't, I think it was like six months or something or maybe even more than that. She was sober. She comes out of jail, comes and spends the night at my house, empty house, my mom's house. She was in Georgia. This was in Utah. Completely empty house. And I wake up the next morning with this pain in my groin that I could not explain. I was just like, I was pissing blood. And I told, I told my fiance, like, you've got to take me. Like, you got to take me to the hospital. There's something wrong. So she takes me to the hospital, and she – I told her, like, you, there's – I can't wait for the doctors to bring me some kind of painkiller. You have to go back home, get my dope, come back, and bring it to me. And this poor girl, she, she, she did that. She went and got my stuff. I'm shooting up in the bathroom at the hospital 
and they tell me, <clears throat> okay, we're going to have to operate. You, uh, you have a testicular torsion, which was one of my testicles wrapped around the other, and it was cutting off circulation. And so they said, okay, we have to operate. You're going to lose it. I said, okay, so go ahead and operate, but, you know, Well, you know, the operation. And I, my coronary artery just exploded. My, my heart rate skyrocketed and my coronary artery just exploded. Couldn't handle it. Okay. I went into cardiac arrest. Uh, just, I flatlined. And... They put me on life support. They had me, they had a balloon pump that was going in through my femoral artery. I had the tubes in my mouth. I had the respirators. I mean, I was full on life support. I didn't know this, but there's different levels of life support. So some, some people don't need like the heart pump. Some people only need the oxygen. Some people, okay. whatever, there's different levels to it. Some people only need the heart pump to work halfway for every other beat. I was full on, I was dead without the machine. Like they called my family and they said, come say goodbye, your, your kid's dead. Like, you know, like he's on full on life support. Like you tell us whether you want us to pull the plug or what. And my, my whole family was living out of town. <clears throat> my mom, my sister actually had to come in from Montana and being underage, she had to sign for them to keep me alive. So wow. my sister, she, she was like, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to pull the plug just yet. Let's keep them alive. So I was in a coma for five days. And when I woke up, they, I, I still had the tubes within inside me. I still had all these you know, needles and things in my arms and everything. And I started freaking out. The last thing I remember was going under for surgery. I literally, like, I, I wake up, my family's around my bed, and I've got all these tubes and everything inside me. I don't, I don't even remember that. But they told me that I just started freaking out and tried to pull the, the, the tubes out of my mouth and stuff. So they put me back under, and they let me wake up the next day just on my own. When I woke up the next day, the date was uh, November 11th of 2011. So it was 11, 11, 11. That was the day that I woke up. Do you know what time and it was? I don't. I don't remember. That would be, that would be interesting too. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so yeah. So I woke up on, on 11, 11, 11, <clears throat> which is insane. It's, it's just insane to me because I thought that the world was going to end in 2012. <laughs> and like somewhere in my have. brain, somewhere <laughs> in my brain, I'm like, I'm like, I, I switched into an alternate universe. Like I, I like always I tell died. people that <laughs> I'm like, you know, my world changed completely in 2012. So if everybody so died at the same time, that. Would any of us know that we were actually dead? 
Well, you know, there's this theory that says that, you know, how they say when you die, you experience that flash, you know, your life flashes before your eyes. Well, apparently, you know, that's like a measurable amount of time, the, the time that your life flashes before your eyes. And so there's a theory that we did die in 2012 and like this is all just like the 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 residual of that flash basically we're basically just reliving the flash so it's very interesting to think about (laughs) interesting yeah stars burn brightest right before they go out so you know maybe with everything accelerating as far as you know now the sun's like burning hotter and the earth's core is hotter and everything's spinning faster and um what happened well, the first time I flatlined, well, no, that's not the first time. I, I had a lot of things happen before that. But but the, the first time before 2012 was in 2008 for me when I flatlined having my son. And um, the last time was 2020 and 2018. I had a heart attack on the same day, uh, two years in a row, actually. Holy and, uh, What? Yeah. So that'll show you. On the same day. Same day, yeah. And um, so that shows you how something happened on that day, you know, (laughs) apparently. But as you were saying, when you have those flashes, the last time, well, no, in 2018 when that happened, and there was this giant, I don't know, light being. I had like 20 foot ceilings in my house, and, and this thing was almost that tall. And, um, I couldn't see uh, many of its features because it was so bright. And I didn't know at the time whether it caused my heart attack or whether it was saving me. But either way, I knew, and it was actually the day I got a tattoo on my finger that says, uh, that says free. And, um, which was interesting. I just gotten home from getting this tattoo that says free. Um, and, um, had a heart attack and memories specific memories in my life flashback but what's what's interesting about that is in the last four years since in some way i've had the opportunity to relive many of those flashbacks many of those memories and make amends with them Um, interesting like how so can you elaborate on that like um, like if it was something to do with my family, like my, my, my sister, or my dad, or something that was traumatic, even some of these from childhood, mm-hmm. it's like, almost like a movie, like the, you know how people do those, those picture scenes, um, to reenact something from the past in the exact, you know, like, like they have a certain scene with their, their siblings or their parents or something. Like a montage? Take, yeah. And they take a picture in the few, like now. 30 years later or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Try to reenact, whatever. Right. Well, that's how it was, but it was for, like, traumatic events in my life. So these scenarios were presented, you know, now at, I was, I'm 41 now. So in the last four years, um, these things have been presented in the almost exact, you know, like the same people with the exact same name will be in the exact same situation. They'll be a different person, but, you know, obviously, but it will trigger that memory I had, that flashback from when I died. And 
I, I've had the opportunity to look at it from a different perspective mm -hmm. and react in a different way and be able to for, forgive myself or forgive whoever, you know, whether it be my sister or dad or, or whoever was there. And I, I think that was the purpose of them. But, but that might be like the flash, like you were saying. Yeah, or it could be, or it could be you like flashing to alternate unit to alternate alternate realities. You know, I said I, I yeah. saw this theory just the other day that was talking about like that we are constantly shifting through multi like multiple different versions of our reality like every second. You know, um, I see that, and so so I could see. And I could see how you're at one moment experiencing how you would do it in this version and then in an alternate reality or, you know, parallel universe or whatever you want to call it, be doing it in another way, you know, and so you're getting some kind of like residual flashback of how you did it in an alternate universe or something. I don't know. I love I love conspiracy theories. It's really and I <laughs> met on that note, you know, because I went and saw. I hardly ever watch TV unless I'm like drawn to a certain movie or series, or if somebody tells me to or something. Right. Um, same. But I did see Multiverse, and I was like, "That's interesting," because around that time when that came out, I had been meeting people that were like, I mean, we're we're naturally drawn to people that are have similar interests in that no i'm not talking about that i'm talking about i was meeting people that had the exact same address as me you know a few years ago but like opposite like backwards like mirrored but i didn't even realize it until <laughs> until i was like in that situation you know it didn't dawn i'm like wait a minute why does this seem familiar because that was my address you know mm -hmm. so long ago or like I would meet people that um, had the exact same life story as me. as I mean, almost to a T as far as things that had happened to us, things that had, you know, our family members, things that where we came from, all this stuff. But we were complete strangers. Yet mm -hmm. they looked similar. So it would be like, like another redhead that was, I don't know a lot taller than me or, or shorter or skinnier or bigger, whatever, but just like literally different versions of myself, different names yeah. and stuff from different parts of the world. But it's like, we were the same person just in a, you know, different um, and same, but everything else was, which is weird if it was an alternate well, I guess a different person would be an alternate version of it of ourselves. Yeah, so. to to me that makes a whole lot of sense because they say that you know the the whole the universe, everything that exists, is a vibration, right? It's a it's a vibrational it, it's a vibration on a frequency, and so if if you as Trish, let's just let's just give you. A random frequency number let's just say that your frequency number is 10 and if if your frequency number is 10 and you're you're living out this universe just by everything being made a vibration of sound of frequency there's going to be 
things in this universe with the vastness of it that are going to be operating on your very same frequency you know like every person every emotion every you know every object has a frequency that on which it exists and so if you're if you let's i guess let's make it a little bit more complex so that to, to give a little bit more perspective instead of being trish at 10 frequency let's say that you're trish at frequency xyz three seven four five six you know and you've got like this huge long number that expresses exactly who you are you know and every single letter and every single number in that whole tag line you know tag of of you know characters expresses exactly who you are one says this is how you act this one says this is how you look this one says this is your color of your hair this one says this and that Mm -hmm. so eventually the world the universe will vibrate out that exact same frequency you know there's only so many frequencies of what can exist and so it makes a lot of sense to to me in the sense that like you're meeting the people that are on your same frequency because you're attracting those tape those same type of people you know, like you're pushing out the frequency that you're that you're wanting to attract. Like when that we, when Even we with are, pets, which is crazy. When we are when we are trying to attract something, it's best to like be what you want to attract. You know, oh, because the yes, law of attraction. Definitely. So, you know, <laughs> the more that you the more that you act like a good human being, the more you're gonna attract good human beings. The more you are a bad person the more bad people you're going to attract so like when you're attracting positive people and you're living on this frequency trish xyz seven one for you know all these different things and you're living out your life path you know your your universe starts to align the frequencies start to say hey this is where we're supposed to be because it's all it's like a ripple you know when you drop a a rock in the in a water you get this ripple effect oh, and yeah. uh, you know and eventually you will start to you know that that same thing continues and it repeats and so trish will eventually repeat you know the exact same numbers that come out of trish are going to repeat eventually and when you're vibrating at these at these frequencies and you start attracting these people it's going to start to you know it's going to start to align and seem like the more people you know that you attract are coming to be more like you well even from a, a psychic medium standpoint of 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 your explanation like i learned this um which could be dangerous actually and and even for like spirits and people who are um you know paranormal investigators and stuff i was drawn to certain like cold cases or murder case, or or i'll even be drawn by a spirit to like say a murder or something that's just happened that nobody knows anything about i don't even know anything about it i'm just drawn to an area and then all of a sudden i see energetically you know when i touch things when i touch um buildings or objects or sometimes uh, like the ground or trees if there's enough energy there i can see it replays what's happened at that point and i see the people and and the place 
and everything. So my mind or the universe will say, oh, so you're looking for who did that? All right, we'll bring him here. And that started happening. Like the actual person who committed the crime would show up while I was at the same location and it became dangerous, you know, and, and obviously I had told, um, you know, these were cases that I was led to and I had told um, investigators or, or um, detectives, things like that. But that's where that the law of attraction, the universe doesn't know the difference. When you're trying to bring something in, you know, and target something, um, whether it be a goal or a thought or an action or a person in that case, you know, like missing persons, things like that. Yeah. It'll bring it to you because it doesn't know whether it's good or bad. The same with diseases right. and illnesses and things like that. If you're, it's like Absolutely. hypochondriacs, if you're afraid of getting something, then you're going to get it because it doesn't know that it's bad for you. you right. know, it's just bringing you what you want. So Absolutely. That's, that's exactly what I was saying about my addiction is that, you know, my, I, I started to thrive in that life of chaos so well, you know, I, I literally had taught my brain, this is how we survive. You know, it, it was almost like it, you could think of it as like, I was teaching myself to live out in the wilderness in a, in a tent or in a cave or something. It's the same concept. I was teaching my brain how to survive in the streets, you know, around drug dealers and guns and needles and all this other stuff. And so my, my brain, my, you know, the universe was like, hey, you're thriving in this. You're thriving in this energy. You're thriving in this chaos. Let me just continue to give you more. And it doesn't know that it's super toxic. It doesn't right. know that I'm like risking my life every day and that I'm in constant fear of being killed or, or robbed or whatever. The universe is just like, oh, you're thriving. Let me continue to give you what you're thriving in. So I definitely agree that, you know, it doesn't really... I, I see what you mean by by saying you know it doesn't really understand you know yeah, whether I it's good or bad that all the time because they'll get so involved in in constantly that rush of their next investigation and of chasing spirits and all of this thing and but that's bad because those are usually much lower level vibrational beings to be in that yeah. state that frequency so for me for example as a medium to go into a place to be able to communicate with these lower vibrational spirits that are common at a lot of these touristy type haunted places locations i have to i have to prepare for that physically because i literally have to lower my vibration to communicate with them that but i so all that means i have to know how to raise it and not let that consume me and a lot of people are consumed by that and get depressed and and have physical you'll you'll hear about people in the paranormal world having heart attacks mental breakdowns all kinds of stuff all the time but it's because they don't balance that lifestyle that's why i don't do focus specifically on crime and murder and ghosts and scary things and wars and everything all the time on my show because mm -hmm. it it would consume me you know so a uh, super interesting because when 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 I was living in the I felt like I was kind of vibrational frequent like shame and guilt and anger and all I started to have what's it called uh, sleep paralysis 
where uh-huh. where in my dreams I would feel like there was this weight on my chest and I just had that feeling that it was a nightmare. I couldn't quite tell at the beginning of the dream nightmare. I could just feel there was a demonic presence of what I was dreaming about. I'd go throughout this dream and eventually something super what happened. There was a lot of wins in my dreams. There was a lot of dark entities, uh, very dark things, shadow figures, red eyes, sounds, things like that, that it happened often. And since getting sober and ripped out of that frequency, I have not had any kind of sleep paralysis dreams. So it's very interesting because because you, know, you stop. I was it's, it's the same on thing. that you stop low vibration. It. Yeah, and I strongly believe that it's, it's those low level frequencies we're talking about that we're able to. I don't know some some somehow you know, have a reaction or some kind of kind of influence on my brain and 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 you know being at me through sleep paralysis was living on that vibrational frequency where those same, you know, the same demons exist. And that's one thing people are like, well, Trish, how can you go into, you know, it's happened numerous times where I've gone into places and this demon that is said to exist there doesn't affect me. And they're like, well, there must be something wrong or you must be that kind of a witch or whatever that this demon does not affect you. No, it doesn't affect me because I have already conquered that demon. Quite literally. I have already conquered that frequency. It can't affect me anymore. It's not going to affect me. Now there are still some that will affect me. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm completely immune, but I've learned that certain things like that it's it's literally like you know the steps to ascension in people's lives because then i'll recall the last time i felt that vibration that frequency was at a certain time in my life when when i was affected by something very dark and demonic and whatever and and the steps i i had to take to climb out of that to to overcome that so now it doesn't affect me of course you know um and I, and I think that's, that's with anything we conquer in life, you know, whether it be public speaking or, or the internet or followers or whatever, like obviously different levels, different devils. We're never yeah. going to be completely, or to be able to completely avoid everything bad in right. this world. I have a we question. To Do you, are you, <laughs> this is probably going to sound ridiculous, but are you afraid of the dark in any way? I'm I'm horrified. Uh, I get like this terrible feeling anytime I'm in a completely dark room. If it's nighttime, I just get this terrible feeling that that something wrong is going to happen. And I personally have I, I personally have never been physically like awake and been affected by a spirit. I have seen things that are super unexplainable, but I personally have no school explanation of why to be afraid of the dark, but I but I continue to be like 
Morning up. Oh, I think uh, we froze. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Do you ever get that? <laughs> um, yeah, I was terrified of the dark up until I was um uh, up until like two years ago. Ter I was sometimes I still get that, but what I did, um, it was a point in my life where I'd given up on on everything. You know, I had been abducted so many times, not only by um by interdimensional beings and extraterrestrials, but but um like the military abductions and things like that and so i had associated the darkness and and i had bad dreams you know from my time i was little every night of my life i i had i was one of those kids that that like laid there in the middle of the night sweating under my covers you know terrified knowing that if i went to my parents room i would get in trouble but also knowing that that seemed like 10 miles across the house because their room was on one side of the house, mine was on the other. And that distance between there, I would see 50 different spirits, you know, or some of the monsters, some of them things I couldn't explain. And um, always being told that that didn't exist and, and nothing was there and all this stuff. So even as an adult, you know, that that transferred over to to my life and I was I was and being you know I had been I'd had houses broken in every house I'd had broken into um assaulted and and almost robbed and and things like this and in bigger cities and and numerous things in the dark so I always associated it with with bad things and so finally um I was like I'm I I went blind uh for a little while when, when I got Lyme disease initially. And so it was always, you know, it's always dark for me. And, but it's like, I could see better when I was blind because I used my other senses. So I realized that the reason I was afraid of the dark was because I would get anxiety and my other senses would shut down. And. Interesting. Finally, I was like, no, I'm not going to live this way. I'm going to do this. Like I said, it was almost like a meditation thing. And that's how I started. I'm like, I'm going to sit in the dark. Cause it, it, it was one of those points where I'm like, I'm done, you know, whatever. If you're going to come take me, then take me. And, <laughs> and then nothing happened. And I'm like, well, I don't know what I was so afraid of all this time. You know, <laughs> it's one of those things. Um, and then an interesting thing, I, I started being able to see it. I would, it was, it was the, it, it's done a lot in, um, you know, in native beliefs and, and such and pagan. I, I would envision myself having the, having the ability to see in the dark, like an owl or like, like a wolf or like a panther or like some some type of animal that I respected, you know, that that I thought of as powerful. And I started being able to see in the dark better. Like I could see anything. I'd go out and I'd be like, "What is That's this? so funny. No. I I I was just talking to my brother. He was like, "Do you remember when you were a kid, you would think you used to think you had wolf eyes?" <laughs> Cuz I could see in the dark, I swear. 
I'm not yeah. even kidding. Like I told my brother, like I thought that I, I was like, I have wolf eyes. I thought that my eyes glue in the dark. I was like, I'd be like, Pat, can you tell that my eyes are glowing in the dark? He's like, no, they're not. And I'm like, uh-huh, <laughs> have wolf eyes. He's like, no, you don't. <laughs> well, it's it's been shown one of those things that it is absolutely mind over matter, you know, and that's, that's where... Um, a lot of those beliefs come from because then you start adapting to like it, it's the whole you know i'm a hip i'm i'm a licensed uh certified clinical hypnotherapist and um what's the saying yeah, you do it all the not really i i just um when you assume trance um then trance you know whatever your if your higher conscious um, believes in something or, or you program your mind, you know, it's like neuro-linguistic programming to believe that. And it's not harmful to you if it actually helps you in some way. Um, it's been proven scientifically that you actually, your body actually starts um, adapting in that way. And that's how you can heal certain, that's how I healed myself from a lot of those things. because um it's reprogramming your higher self which is what your subconscious or or you know always stops us from doing so but sense. your higher conscious will never do anything to harm you so if it's something that's going to help you then it'll allow it right yeah that makes sense oh my goodness it's already 10 25. I do this all the time. 10.25? <laughs> well, my time. It's 11.25 your time. Well, yeah. Quinn, tell everyone where they can find you. I am most active on Facebook. That's Quinn Stone. I believe the, the forward slash is QS motivation. Actually, I know it is. I also have my TikTok, which is Quinn.Stone. My... Instagram is Quinstone Motivation. My YouTube is Quinstone Motivation. I have this uh, sober clothing company that that all the links can be found there. There's probably the easiest would be my TikTok, Quinn.stone. There's the link tree there or Facebook at Quinstone. So uh, yeah, link trees over there all the things that I'm getting into, the clothing company. I also have a Patreon where I hold weekly sessions that we we get together as a community. We talk about addiction recovery, substance abuse, domestic violence. We have, we have, um, what else? We're, we're gonna be starting a podcast here in January, but uh, and then, oh, I, that's what I was going to mention <clears throat> for the weekly sessions on my Patreon. We also do weekly sound bath guided meditations. So I have the uh, crystal sound bowls where I do a sound bath. My sister does some kind of guided meditation or I do a guided meditation during. So, yeah, it's been really awesome discovering spirituality and and all the different opportunities that are coming my way so i really appreciate you having me on it's been an Absolutely. honor it's been great speaking with you 
I really appreciate it. I'm excited to follow, um, you know, your journey and and to see see your next steps as well. Like I said, I know you you think of yourself differently, but for me, when I first saw you, I was like, this is someone who is absolutely an inspiration to me, and. Um, you know, when I started rebuilding myself, I'm like, I want to be able to talk to people and connect with people who um, absolutely have the right idea of, of you know, not going backwards. And, um, Definitely. And, and having goals and, and taking that step, you know, because that, that inspires people like me, and I'm sure it does to people all over the world. So, well, thank um, you. I love your content. I'm so happy you were able to be here. And um, thank you to my audience. Um, as you know, I will post um, Quinn's uh, links, obviously, on my on my YouTube site and everything. And um, as well, they will be replayed on all of your major podcast stations. So thank you for joining us. Be careful with that full moon energy out there. Um, stay stay. <laughs> yes. Stay safe. Thank you again to Carnation. And we will see you again next week. So I have no idea where my outro is. So y'all are just gonna have to look at us till we freeze or something. So have a good night, awesome. everyone. Thank you so much. I appreciate you and I appreciate all the listeners too. Thank you. <laughs>